Well, it's great to be with you on this occasion, and I love South Korea. I've been there nine times, and I've heard about you folks from Michael Reeves, a very good friend of mine, and I do pray that this conference would be a, a great blessing to all of us. I'd like to begin by simply reading two verses the first is from Isaiah 64, verse 7. There is none that calls upon thy name that stirs up himself to take hold of thee. And then James 5, 17. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Let's pray together. Great God of heaven, we ask thy benediction upon this short address and pray that thou wilt do valiantly at this conference, saving the lost, maturing the saints, glorifying thy name. And as we speak, Lord, on this theme of taking hold of ourselves and of thee in cultivating private prayer, we pray thy benediction upon this address that we would truly pray in our prayers in spirit and in truth. Please help us, O God, and be near to us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is uh, Joel Beakey. I'm president of Puritan Reformed Seminary and also pastor in the Heritage Reformed Church of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I want to bring you the warmest greetings from both institutions. My theme today is taking hold of yourself and of God in cultivating private prayer. Now, we just read from James 5.17. But Elijah prayed earnestly, which can also be translated in the marginal notes, that he prayed in his prayer. His prayers were more than a formal exercise. He poured himself into his praying. You might call it prayerful praying. Today, we are often afflicted with prayerless praying. So ask yourself, what is the condition of my prayer life when no one else is watching? Do I meet with the Heavenly Father in reality, in secret, through Jesus? Is my prayer only an outward form, a ritual of words? Or is it really the breathing of my heart? Now, perhaps you've once prayed in your prayers, but your prayer life has grown dull, backsliding, perhaps has come into your life. And backsliding usually begins in the inner closet of prayer. You used to look forward to times of prayer. You longed to be alone with the Lord. But gradually, your prayer life began to disintegrate. You see, we must confront our prayerless praying, confess it to God, and plead for the spirit of grace and supplication to revive our souls. So then... What are the solutions to this problem of prayerlessness? 
the solutions for prayerful praying? Well, I believe it's basically a twofold solution by the Spirit's grace. First, we must take hold of ourselves. As Paul says to Timothy, exercise thyself, take hold of thyself unto godliness. And second, we must take hold of God, which Isaiah 64, 7 refers to when it says, there's none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. So I plead with you, I plead with you in this little talk that you would resolve to pursue a more fervent and faithful prayer life. And that will require of you to take hold of yourself and of God. Now, since the Reformers and Puritans of the 16th, 17th centuries were masters of prayer, I'm going to quote heavily from them also in my suggestions to you for prayerful praying around these two key thoughts. Take hold of yourself. Take hold of God. So first then, take hold of yourself for prayer. You see, prayerful praying doesn't happen automatically. Don't think that going to a conference, listening to a preacher, reading a book will somehow flip a switch inside of you and make you automatically prayerful. You must exercise self-control, which is not a legalistic mandate, but a fruit of the Spirit prompted by the cross of Christ. So beware of the trap of thinking that, well, some people are more prayerful and holy by nature, and you're just not one of them. What I want to do is I want to give you seven quick principles of how to take hold of yourself for prayer. Number one, remember the value of prayer. Like Daniel, we should be willing to die rather than give up prayer. We should always remember that prayer is essential for the well-being of our soul, that it's the most Christ-like thing we can engage in. We must seek to realize the value even of unanswered prayer. The Puritan William Bridge said, A praying man can never be very miserable, whatever his condition be, for he has the ear of God, the spirit within to indict him, a friend in heaven to present him, and God himself to receive his desires. Tis a mercy to pray, even though I never receive the mercy prayed for. My dad used to teach me when I was a boy that the most valuable thing in all the world is an open throne of grace, the freedom to cry out to God. But if unanswered prayer is sweet, how much sweeter are answered prayers? Joseph Hall wrote, Good prayers never come weeping home. I'm sure I shall either receive what I ask or what I should have been asking for in the first place. So remember the value of prayer. Secondly, maintain the priority of prayer. Our Lord said in John 15, 5, Without me, you can do nothing. I love what John Bunyan said. He said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. You see, you you have to give prayer priority. And that means ranking it higher than other things. Is it possible that your prayer life suffers because Something else is being ranked too high, such as the 
electronic media, perhaps. Media might absorb you too much, take up too much precious time, or something else that you put, something worldly, perhaps, that you put before your prayers that make your prayers become shallow and cold and self-centered. Prioritizing prayer will require putting other activities in their proper place, but keeping prayer as your priority. Number three, speak with sincerity in prayer. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Sometimes a sincere prayer, such as Psalm 119, is long and carefully crafted. But sometimes a sincere prayer, such as Psalm 86, verse 11, is very simple, short. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Or consider Luke 18, 13. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Either way, settle for nothing less than sincerity in your prayer. Thomas Brooks put it this way, God looks not at the elegancy of your prayers to see how neat they are, or at the geometry of your prayers to see how long they are, or at the arithmetic of your prayers to see how many they are, or at the music of your prayers, or at the sweetness of your voice, or at the logic of your prayers, but he looks at the sincerity of your prayers, how hearty they are. Four, Cultivate a continual spirit of prayer. Pray without ceasing, says 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And that refers to the spirit, the habit, the condition of prayer, rather than the physical act of prayer. To pray without ceasing is to pray at set times and seasons, to pray with importunity and vehemence, and to approve various occasions to pray throughout each day. The story is told of some ministers who got together to talk about what it means to pray without ceasing. John Newton was there and some others. And a young woman was serving them. And so they asked her, what do you think this means to pray without ceasing? Well, she said, sirs, I just sort of pray my way through the day. You know, when I get up, I, I dress myself. I pray I would be clothed with Christ's righteousness today. When I dusted the furniture before you came, I pray that the Lord would take away the filth of my heart. And uh, I set food and drink before you. I pray that he would be the bread of life and my water of life today. I just kind of pray my way through the day. He said, that's exactly right. The Puritans put it this way. They said, you have your deliberate times of prayer and your occasional times of prayer. Your deliberate times of prayer are those set times every day. The occasional times of prayer are prayers that spring up from, from your mind, from your heart, while, while you're driving, while you're meditating. The Puritan Joseph Align once wrote to a dear friend, when I am not often in prayer, I feel like a bird out of my nest. I'm never quiet until I'm in my old way of communion with God. One thing I found very helpful here in this task of continual prayer is that whenever I feel the least impulse to pray, I pray. It's more important than anything else I'm doing. Sometimes it means praying with your eyes open. 
But don't tell yourself, well, I'll wait till I have a more convenient time to pray. If you have that impulse to pray, you pray. Number five, work towards organization in intercessory prayer. You know, Paul prayed constantly for believers in churches all over the world. He was a remarkably busy person. His life was full of conflicts and trials, yet he maintained a system of prayer. He kept prayerless in his mind, if not on paper. And with God's help, you see, if you organize your prayer times for others, you will feel more burdened to pray for them. And sometimes for certain people more than others. But press on even when you don't feel like doing so. I'd suggest you divide your prayer list into three categories. People you want to pray for every day, and then every week, and then every month. And periodically update your list. I had a good friend in South Africa who's now passed away, but he used to spend an hour every morning just in intercessory prayer. And my wife and me and each of my three children were on that daily prayer list. Every day, he was remembering all five of us individually. That, that's incredibly encouraging. I, I always think my best friends are those who daily lift up my worthless name to the Lord of Sebaoth. No wonder John Newton said, my best friends are those who prayed for me. Number six, read the Bible for prayer. One reason your prayer life may be growing stagnant is that you've neglected the scriptures. See, prayer is a two-way conversation, really. God is speaking to you through his word, and then you go back to him in prayer. So we need to listen to God, not just talk to him. We listen to God by filling our minds with the Bible. Our Lord Jesus Christ says in John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So when you read the Bible, do so with the express intent of responding to God's word with prayer. Turn those promises in the Bible into fuel for your prayers. And finally, take hold of yourself, number seven, by keeping biblical balance in prayer. Now, prayer is essentially four things. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. But it can be broken down into more detail. The scriptures present various kinds of prayer. Praise of God's glories, confession of our sins, petition for our needs, spiritual and physical. Thanks for God's mercies, intercession for others. And our affirmation to God that we are confident that he is willing and able to answer what we prayed. The Bible also presents different contexts for prayer. Private prayer, family prayer, prayer with friends, prayer meetings, prayer in public worship. So periodically, examine your prayers to see if they are out of balance and give more time and energy to the areas of prayer you're neglecting. And then secondly, and more shortly now, we need to also take hold of God in prayer. Those first seven things are things you can do by the Spirit's grace for yourself. But deep within us, we know it's impossible, don't we, to solve prayerlessness by our own strength. The sacredness, the gift, the efficacy of prayer are far above human means. 
So God's grace is necessary for prayerful praying. And by that grace, just as Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, would not let him go until he was blessed, so we must grasp hold of God in and through Jesus Christ until he blesses us. So let me give you three principles for taking hold of God in prayer through Jesus Christ. One is, plead God's promises in prayer. In his sovereignty, God has bound himself by his own promises. Thomas Manton wrote, One good way to get comfort is to plead the promises of God in prayer. Show him his handwriting. God is tender of his word. Some time ago, an elderly friend brought me a spiritual letter from my father who died while in the pulpit, passing from the pulpit to glory way back in 1993. But my dad had wrote a letter in the 1950s to this man uh, shortly after his conversion. And he said to me, I I thought you might like to have this. And I said, like to? I'd love to have this letter. And I sat down and read it immediately with great pleasure. It was my father's handwriting, my father's spiritual experiences. So how do you think your father in heaven feels when you show him his own handwriting in prayer and say, Lord, do as thou hast said? The Puritans, you see, made much of praying God's promises back to him. John Trapp wrote, promises must be prayed over. God loves to be burdened with and to be importuned, that is, urgently pressed with requests in his own words, to be sued upon with his own bond. Prayer is a putting God's promises into suit. And it's no arrogancy or presumption, Trapp goes on to say, to burden God, as it were, with his own promises. Such prayers will deny the Lord day and night. He can as little deny them as deny himself. Likewise, William Grinnell wrote, Prayer is nothing but the promise reversed. God's word formed into an argument, retorted by faith upon God again. And what is the greatest promise of the word and the sum of all the promises but the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins? So pray, pleading the promises, which are all yes and amen in the reconciling work of the mediator. And two, look to the glorious trinity in prayer. Much prayerlessness in our prayers is due to our thoughtlessness towards God. Our prayers may come from the stress of an immediate need or crisis, which is legitimate, or they be, may become mere habitual talking to ourselves. But God dwells in our prayers most when our minds most dwell on God. True prayer is not self-congratulatory, but self-condemnatory, in Christ congratulatory. Therefore, when you pray, meditate on how the gospel reveals the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to draw sinners to God. Before rushing into your list of requests, bring to mind scripture texts that speak of the glory of our God. Turn those texts into praise. Ephesians 2.18 tells us how the three persons of the Trinity operate in our prayers, saying, for through him, that is Christ Jesus, We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. You see, prayer is Trinitarian. 
It's like a golden chain that runs from the Father via the Son and the Spirit back to the Father again. It's decreed by the Father. It's merited by the Son. It's shaped into desires and words in us by the Spirit. Then it's sent back up to the Son, who through his intercession presents it as acceptable and pure to his heavenly Father. So then lean on the Spirit to help you compose your prayers and trust in Christ to make your prayers effectual and rest in the Father's love who sent both Son and Spirit. So by the Son and by the Spirit, your prayers will reach the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. John Owen advised us to commune with each person in the triune God. Based on 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. So in your prayer life, pursue a deeper and more experiential knowledge of the riches of grace in Christ's person and work, the glory in electing and adopting love of the Father, and the comfort of fellowship with God by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Finally, believe that God answers prayer. That's how we take hold of him, by faith. I fear that we often don't believe in prayer as we should. In America, a man once set up a tavern next door to a church. There were wild parties, late night hours, sinful indulgence, and morning garbage from the bar on the church parking lot that so distressed the church that the people, the church people began to pray that God would intervene. Well, God did. A tornado came through that town and actually wiped out the tavern and left the church untouched. And so the tavern owner took the church to court, claiming his loss was due to the church's prayers. But the church members claimed innocence, saying, we have no responsibility in the tavern's destruction. Well, the judge marveled. He said he never had a case like this before where unbelievers profess to believe in prayer and believers profess not to. You see, faithless prayer is fruitless prayer. When we don't trust that God answers prayer, we call into question his fatherly relationship to us. Since he's our father through the blood of Jesus, suspicion toward the prayer-hearing God boils down really to mistrust in the finished work of Christ. So let's not be unbelieving, but believing in our prayers. What an open, generous heart God the Father has toward his children. It was he who predestined us to adoption. It was he who sent his son to die for our sins. It was he who sent his spirit into our hearts so we could cry, Abba, Father, child of God, do not fear to come to your Father in heaven. Though you may have backslidden in your prayers, if you seek him, he will run to meet you. He will embrace you. He will kiss you with the blessings of his spirit. Oh, get up out of your prayerlessness and run by the Spirit's grace to the Father with taking Christ in your arms. And the blood of Christ will cleanse you from all sin. Oh, may we not fall under the verdict of Isaiah 64, 7. There is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. Instead, we must bestir ourselves to take hold of the living God.
So in conclusion, ask God to make you a praying Elijah who knows what it means to battle unbelief and despair even as you strive to grow in prayer and in grateful communion with God. Isn't it interesting that James presents Elijah as someone quite like you and me with the same passions that we have? He prayed in his praying and he could despair in his despairing. Do not neglect to pray for your own prayer life. Pray for grace to believe and be thankful that God decrees prayer and gives prayer and hears prayer and answers prayer. And if we truly believe these things, we have sufficient motivation to undertake the journey from prayerless praying to prayerful praying, being contemporary Elijahs who truly pray in our prayers to our worthy triune God of amazing grace, who is always worthy of being worshipped, feared, and loved, even to all eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, teach us, please teach us, to take hold of ourself, to take hold of Thee, and let these ten ways given in this short talk assist us to do so, so that we might pray in our prayers and be blessed and be a blessing to those around us, in our family, in our church, in our nation, in our world. Bless this conference. Bless the prayer time. Above all, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.